Triple G and the rest, like an overhand right from Krakowolev. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and back with me for episode 53, my partner in crime, Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, Ken, man? Not much, brother. It was an electric scene from the Barclays Center last night in Brooklyn, New York, as Miguel Cotto, the lineal middleweight champion of the world, took his title across from the island of Manhattan, where he has defended many titles over the years, at his second home of Madison Square Garden to fight for the first time in his career in Brooklyn, New York, and taking on Australian middleweight Daniel Gill. Cotto to defend his ring in WBC green straps at a catchweight of 157 pounds. The super junior middleweight division? <laughs> <laughs> the super junior middleweight division. No, Miguel Cotto says this is Miguel Cotto division. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There was uh, quite a bit of controversy in the lead-up to the fight. I think Gil became extremely vocal as he became nervous at the, what was it, the one-week weigh-in before the fight. He yeah. was he was close to 170 pounds still, wasn't he? Yeah, he had, I believe he had 10 pounds to go with yeah. less than a week. And sure enough... He made the catch weight of 157 pounds. I think Miguel Cotto was legitimately going to cancel this fight, or try to anyways, um, regardless of the financial obligations that had already been paid for, uh, the logistical nightmare that it would have created for HBO. He was dead serious because, let's be honest, there was no financial penalty then inside this contract that stated that Gil would have to be docked his purse in any capacity whatsoever had he not met the 157-pound limit. And then Suleiman from the WBC comes out and states that as long as this fight takes place at under the maximum of 160 pounds, the belt is still on the line. Well, good for him for doing that because, uh, you know, we've all, especially leading up to this fight this week, we've heard so much back and forth on Twitter and people arguing about, the middleweight division and holding the middleweight belts and only allowing fighters that are middleweights to weigh 157 pounds. I'm sorry, my friend. That is just, you are doing a disgrace to the middleweight division, the second greatest division in the history of boxing. Yeah. Fighters should be able to weigh 160 pounds. I'm sorry. I don't care what you weigh, but your opponent can weigh 160 pounds. Yeah, I agree with you, man. You know, um, we had some some fun banter back and forth with uh, a couple friends of the show um, the week leading into this fight. And uh, I could not agree with you more. I mean, you know, I get it, right? Cotto had to make concessions in the catchweight department 
and come in at 145 against Manny Pacquiao. People lose sight of the fact that Manny Pacquiao was still coming up in weight, and Cotto had just arrived at the welterweight division. Yep. So this wasn't some cataclysmic, uh, just unbelievably unfair, ridiculous concept whatsoever because the fact of the matter was is that Pacquiao was still tiny. This was That was utilized much more in the fashion of catchweights of old when Sugar Ray Robinson would just want to meet somebody from the next weight class because back then it went from 147 to 160 to 175, and you had to meet in the middle somewhere to be able to make those fights happen. Right. But the sanctioning bodies would still honor any championships that were fought as long as both fighters came in under whatever that limit may be. So if it's 160 pounds, if the belt holder weighs 130 pounds and he wants to fight somebody that weighs 95 pounds, I mean, it's still under the limit, right? Right. I don't care if Lomachenko wants to start fighting as a middleweight (laughs) and he wins the belt. As long as his opponent can weigh 160, that is all that matters. Yeah, I agree. Otherwise, you know what? Then don't put the belt on the line. Yep, exactly. Anyways, okay, so all drama aside... Let's be honest. Anytime Miguel Cotto steps in the ring, there's a buzz about it. People are talking about it. He's one of the big five in the entire sport. There's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, to be honest, Vin, I was really looking forward to this fight, especially considering you and I were both present for his last fight a year ago this past weekend against Sergio Martinez when he claimed this 160-pound lineal championship fight can you believe all that time had passed since his last fight i know it's nuts and you're exactly right whenever Cotto gets in the ring i don't care who you are if you're a boxing fan you get pumped up for it because the dude is a warrior brings it every time has never disappointed even in the fights that he's lost the bigger fights against pacquiao and mayweather he always showed well until he was defeated he never he never kind of was was reserved with defeat he always brought it you could never ever disrespect Miguel Cotto as a fighter or as a boxer ever. He is a hands-down Hall of Fame fighter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, No doubt. Daniel Gill rehydrated well for this fight. Jesus, man. Can you believe that? (laughs) That is unreal. Barely makes 157. Looks like Skeletor from He-Man. He did. At the weigh-in. And then comes into the fight at 180 pounds. But you could tell he overhydrated because he had no muscle definition whatsoever. And looked sluggish. Yeah, he did look sluggish, um, no doubt about it. On the other hand, Miguel Cotto enters this fight, no entrance music, solitary as he has become as his career has progressed, just like he did last year against Sergio, meaning strictly business. The crowd chants, Cotto, Cotto, Cotto. Vin, we watched what happened earlier in the day on Premier Boxing Champions. This, my friend, was a real fight. With real fans that were really excited. Yeah, uh, the Puerto Rican crowd, man. I'm telling you what, they they never disappoint. They are just freaking amped, man. I mean, jumping up and down. When Cotto puts somebody on the mat, you, I mean, the level of noise inside that place is just, it goes through the roof. It's a great environment. A Miguel Cotto fight is one of the best fight environments in New York City. It, yeah. it, it's, it's awesome. It's unbelievable, man. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I still remember... Uh, the feeling, the goosebumps mm-hmm. from when he put Martinez down to the canvas. All right, Ben, let's get right to the fight. We go to the first round, and Cotto opens the bell with a big left hook to the body of Daniel Gill. 
The Aussie is shifty and crafty as usual, but takes a few too many solid shots. One in particular, a big hook to the chin, stuns Gil, sending him back on his heels. Gil gathers his wits and lands some solid combinations, but Cotto volleys just as well. Cotto's boxing well on the outside to open the second round. He's very efficient and extremely accurate. Bouncy and spry on his toes. Gil is struggling to defend the bodywork of the Puerto Rican slugger, but continues to shift along the outside. Gil must defend his body and let his hands go. Entering the third round, Cotto is nothing short of impressive. His defense, footwork, accuracy to the body is something to behold as Giel is going to give way in the next three or four rounds if he continues to take these shots to the body. It's clearly sapping his ability to let his hands go, and Cotto is gathered and operating like a true technician. We enter into the fourth round. Cotto comes out looking intent with his movement. He backs Gil into the corner. As the Aussie's trying to work his way out, he darts out a left jab that's blocked by Cotto, followed up by a right uppercut that's evaded with a slip to the left by the Puerto Rican slugger. The two fighters' heads collide, and as they're separated ever so slightly, both throw left hooks simultaneously as they peel away, but Cotto's arrives first and right on the button, rocking Gil down to his foundation, sending him through the ropes and down down for the count. Gil gets up slowly and opts to continue, but Cotto attacks with a vicious onslaught as Gil tries to fend off the swarming power shots, but Cotto was relentless. This flurry of hooks from Cotto finally comes to an end with a right hook that sends Gil down for the final time. And just like the last fight against Triple G, Gil says, no mas. Yeah, what? What a performance, man. He looks I, good. I, he looked so impressive. And, you know, you don't want to take anything away and say Gil looked bad, and that's why Cotto looked so good. That is the best I've seen Miguel Cotto look all around game. The, the, the movement, the footwork, the way he was able to spin Gil into those, those potty shots, those lefts to the body. He controlled the ring. He looked just like... <laughs> He looked like a master boxer, like he has graduated to a class, a level that is just it's it was a beautiful thing to watch, man. It really was. Yeah. I, I really have never seen Cotto look so smooth and fluid in the ring as he did last night. Uh if he keeps this up, you know, I used to when you when you throw the Canelo name out there, I go, eh, I don't I don't like his chances at all. I after watching last night, I give him a much better chance than I did a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of people want to talk about and 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 Miguel Cotto vehemently thanks Freddie Roach and attributes all of his new success to this this great relationship that he would not be where he is today and fighting like he is today without the help of the wild card gym. But the thing that's most impressive to me, considering that Freddie Roach's reputation in this industry has strictly been based on his ability to bring out offensive potential out of really talented fighters. The thing that stands out the most to me, Vin, his footwork is unbelievable at this point in his career. I don't think he ever moved or operated. That bounce in his step is something that he never had before. Yeah, and he's, he's changing levels beautifully with punches and, and, and spinning his opponents where he wants them. Yeah, man, I, I, I really, I've never seen a Miguel Cotto like that, I feel like. That was super impressive, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. So Cotto 
by way of fourth round knockout, improves to 40 and four with 33 knockouts. So the post fight interview was something that everybody was looking forward to. I think I was <laughs> I was looking forward to this before the fight even started, because um, you knew exactly what questions were going to be asked. And right off the bat, right out of the gate, Miguel Cotto says that Freddie Roach is the best thing that has ever happened to his career. Let's talk about the relationship. I just touched on it a little bit. What do you think about the duo of Roach and, uh, and Miguel Cotto? I think more than anything with, with, that, with that relationship, I think Roach was able to just kind of reignite the fire under Cotto, kind of give him some confidence that maybe he lost in a few losses and lackluster performances against mediocre fighters. I, I really think that's the biggest thing is his confidence is back. He believes in himself, and he actually, at this weight, at 154, 155, 157 pounds, wherever he's going to fight, he looks really, really strong. Like That looks like where he's got so much more power and so much more pop mm -hmm. on those shots than he had before. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I could not agree more, Vin. Um, all right, so the next question on the docket from the long-winded Max Kellerman. <laughs> was of course about the next opponent and um you know it was the uh, the white elephant in the room the question of would canelo be next and this is what Cotto had to say i had 44 fights in my whole career canelo going to be just another one another uh, the, 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 the new chapter in my career but first of all and before uh, Canelo's fight happened. Uh, people want to fight. I want to fight. Everybody want to fight. Let's do it. But before that, I want to spend time with my family. I want to, to enjoy time with them. And then after that, we'll be back in LA training for Canelo. There you have it. Canelo's next. I hope so. But we all know what it means when Miguel Cotto says he's going to go spend time with his family. That means, uh, is it going to happen in 2016, <laughs> 2017? Yeah, yeah. Who knows, man? You Will really, there be a Mayweather fight in between? That that was that's <laughs> my biggest question now. Is is that does that now become a real possibility? Hell no. I hope not. Hell no. I was I was uh, talking to a couple of people on Twitter last night. I said there is no way. It, look, why would Mayweather fight this version of Cotto when he can have an easy layup with Amir Khan? Yeah, I think after watching <laughs> Khan fight, he's licking his chops. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to step into the ring with this Cotto. I mean, the only thing that matters, the biggest fight in the sport right now that's left to be made is Canelo and Cotto. And Cotto has conceded that he will take the fight wherever it is the biggest. And they're talking about Cowboys Stadium at a 155-pound limit. Did I hear him say he'll split the money too? Yeah. I, I, I'm glad he's he's making those reservations and, and – He's going to let this fight happen and not hold it hostage. Yeah, absolutely. So then, the uh, I guess the larger elephant in the room, who was actually sitting a few rows back last night at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> was none other than you-know-who. Big drama show. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he's ready for Kodo. He's been stalking Kodo. He's been pretty much doing everything outside of trolling him. Um, and this was what Miguel Cotto had to say when Max Kellerman asked him about the Punisher, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin. Uh, uh, <laughs> why, why not? You know, but uh, we, we need to do our, our fights. Canelo 
it sounds to be the next one. And after that, if, if Ginali is available and he, if he wants to buy, I'm available too. Uh, yeah, that's some serious <laughs> hesitation. The, the look on his face when he said that I got memed so many times last <laughs> night. He was like, uh, I don't know who looks better in spandex, Antonio Margarito or Brian. <laughs> somebody, somebody tweeted that last night. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So, yeah, I think we know where that's going. And actually, it was the next comment by Miguel Cotto that pretty much answered that last question. Um, it was his, uh, I guess, his spin out to the left as he's dodging a massive a massive overhand right from Triple G. This is what Cotto said to maneuver his way out of this one. My weight uh, yesterday was 156, uh, 53.6 pounds. Do you think... I'm a middle boy. Doesn't sound like it. I'm not. Wow. <laughs> but you have a middleweight belt? He purposely came in at 153.6. Oh, yeah. Purposely. I think so, too. Uh, it was a huge statement. Mm-hmm. He, he, it was a huge statement. You know, look, Kodo's all about making these subliminal statements, right? Yeah. And him coming in, him fighting Daniel Gill, who Triple G knocked out, him knocking out Daniel Gale, him coming in at 153.6 pounds to do it. There's something to be said about this, and um, I'm really interested to hear in the upcoming days, weeks, months, what Golovkin has to say about this, if they're just going to move on, because from what I'm hearing is that negotiations are underway for a payoff, so a step-aside fee for Gennady Golovkin that could soar upwards of 7 Figures. Wow. Uh, you know what? I can't. I can't blame Cotto for taking the Canelo fight first. Wouldn't you? Hold on, Ben. Wouldn't you rather him drop the damn belt? Than, oh hell Instead yes. of paying Golovkin a million dollars. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't understand that whatsoever. Cotto does not need that belt to legitimize any fight for the rest of his career. <sighs> it does not. Absolutely nothing for any fight. I'm going to watch a Cotto fight, whether he's carrying a damn WBC <laughs> belt or not. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that was the first thing that crossed my mind. I was like, well. Uh, I'm not giving anybody a million dollars. Here, take you can have this belt. Yeah, have it. Go. Yeah, please. I got, I got plenty of belts in my closet. <laughs> Plus, they get. Don't, I mean, don't they get replicas? He can just wear the damn thing around if he wants to. Yeah, I, I don't under. That makes absolutely no sense. All right, so Canelo Cotto, early picks on this one. It's real easy to get excited about the the guy who's fought most recently. Yeah, I think Canelo still. I think he wins the fight. He's the bigger fighter. He throws the heavier shots, and I think he'll be able to wear Cotto down in that fight. All right, you hear it from Vin. That's the early prognostication. I just put you on the spot. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lend mine. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll wait. Uh, you know, six or seven months, especially after my prediction for this fight. But like I said, hey, I'll fess up. I'll fess up. You know. I guess I didn't take into consideration this whole catchweight thing and how uh, how this thing was going to play out. I should have known from the beginning. It's just you know it's difficult sometimes when a guy goes in against the likes of Delvin Rodriguez and then beats a peg leg Sergio Martinez. There's still some reservation mm-hmm. left as to is this for real or not. Right. Exactly. But I, I think his last two performances, especially against Sergio and against Gil you're seeing a different it, it's the it's the eye test. He he put everything to all the questions to bed last night. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that'll do it from the action at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York as Miguel Cotto blasted Daniel Gill and Canelo awaits. Canelo awaits. So, we move to our favorite show of the day. <laughs> <laughs> the PBC on NBC from the StubHub Center. 
and Carson, California. Robert Guerrero squared off against Aaron Martinez. Aaron Martinez. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Martinez. Um, this was an Aaron Martinez, Vin, who in his last fight was knocked out by Jose Cito Lopez, an enormous underdog for the ghost. I guess the PBC was trying to capitalize off of a couple new fans that he may have gathered for his heroic effort against Keith Thurman. So they throw him back in the ring um, against Aaron Martinez. Guerrero, an enormous favorite. So much so, the purses, the, <laughs> the proof is in the purses, <laughs> right? The ghost, $1 million purse for this fight. Wow. Martinez, $80,000. What? Yeah. Are you kidding me? So let me ask you something, okay? Look, we'll, okay, we'll get back to the purses and how this affects the decision in this fight, mm-hmm. right? But let's just walk through this, right? All right, the StubHub Center, the mecca of action fights, as we have so duly noted and dubbed this venue, a tennis arena that has been um, kind of turned into this like gladiator pit. It has for, for you know for professional prize fighting brings out the best in all fighters. This matchup staged here. Um, there's your first mistake, right? Yeah. Okay. So as soon as I turn the coverage on, Vin, the first thing I notice is there's nobody in the stands. There are literally empty sections, empty sections with no. I'm, I, that's not an exaggeration. No, there were no people in three quarters of the rows of this place, right? So the fight starts, and I'm like, okay, you know, Martinez is swarming Guerrero. He lands a huge shot. Second round, Martinez is just relentless, relentless, right? And then all of a sudden, I start to notice this guy, right? The main camera that's propped up where you get your main action shots that points in that one direction for every fight, right? Mm-hmm. The wide angle of the, like, the full ring shot. Yep. I see this guy who's running around like a chicken with his head cut off with a gigantic credential dangling around his neck with a walkie-talkie, and he's stealing the show as he is with huge exaggerated movements, waving people over into these seats to try to fill the empty seats that were within this camera angle. I don't know who's running this shit show, Vin, but I find it remarkable that Every other camera they went to showed an empty arena, literally an empty arena. Did they realize they would have been better off just having people sprinkled through the crowd than having it literally a guy that once fought Floyd Mayweather on pay-per-view, a guy that just fought a tough fight against Keith Thurman, literally in front of no more than 200 people. It was sad. What was your first impression when you saw that guy? I mean, dude, didn't he steal your attention from the fight? Oh, immediately. Immediately. I think it was the second or third round when I saw it. Uh, I didn't know if there was like a a turn a musical chairs tournament going on in the <laughs> arena that we weren't aware well, of. Well, apparently there was a ping pong tournament going on. Did you hear about that? No. I'll get to that in a minute. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's I've never seen anything like it. I'm it's just the biggest freaking joke, man. I what what are you doing? Like you, it's such a disservice to the authentic authenticity of a fight and just everything that comes with it. It's absolutely deplorable. I I, I it's the most frustrating thing, and it steals your attention from the fight. Yeah, 
And then maybe that's just us because we're looking for that shit and we know what's going no, on. No, 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 no. It's not just us. It's not just us. It shouldn't be. No. The viewership for the PBC shows outside of their first debut shows has plummeted. Their access to an audience, okay, is far superior in the hundreds of millions. Yeah. Right? And the numbers for these shows now are barely rivaling, uh, barely at the same level as HBO, who only has an audience of 30 million. And out of that 30 million, how many of them are actu- actually have subscriptions for boxing? The potential audience is in the hundreds of millions. It's, it's, it's over 100 million mm-hmm. for NBC, for, for Spike. Right? Yep. Spike, uh, the, the Khan Algieri fight. I read an article that said, oh, those huge numbers. Give me a break. Horseshit. It did 1.2 million, which wasn't even, I think that would have been like number 10 on a list last year that only included HBO and Showtime. Khan's a superstar, though, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what, man? Listen. The only people that are watching these fights are us. Yep. Okay? Are diehard boxing fans. The same diehard boxing fans that Lou DiBella so famously trashed on the Nuthouse podcast. Yep. He said that we're irrelevant to the sport. He called us idiots and dorks. That all we do is bitch and moan. That we have no part. We have no role. That we're not the target audience. And what the PBC is going after with their manufactured narrative. And guess what, Vin? The casual fans have left the building. And guess who's left watching the sport? I asked the question. I posed it on Twitter to the egomaniacal Lou DiBella. And I said to him, hey, Lou, what's the plan? What's the plan for the PBC when all your, your new popular friends call bullshit and stop watching your garbage. Then what? You going to come back to us and start kissing our feet again? That's the the sad thing about the whole situation is is that he in the back of his mind knows that we'll always be there. Boxing fans like us have been more than in any other sport across the world. They are run through the ringer of bullshit. They're fed bullshit. They, they, they're, they're lied to. There's more deception and backroom dealings in the sport than you could possibly imagine. And fans are kind of just left. Boxing fans are just left on the wayside. And, and a lot of the times you, you take what you can get. And that's why we bitch. So why? I, I just don't understand why he thought that a product, that they, this product that they're pumping out there is going to have any draw to any casual sports fan when these these matchups are terrible the the arenas are empty we've we've been saying it for weeks you say it all the time it's the most antiseptic version of the sport i have ever seen in my life oh it's it is it's getting worse and worse and you know what we've been chastised a bit by some of the listeners of this show for pounding on the pbc too much but here's the thing man here's the thing i think we've been kind Oh, yeah. I really do. Yeah. The fact that we talk about it every week is because they put on a garbage card every week. Yep. Um, but then it's, it's, it's not just things like this. It's not just this contrived atmosphere. It's not the fact that they randomly, for no logical reason whatsoever, 
No logical reason. They mix and match where they're going to put what fight at what time when we know how a boxing card works, right? Where it's the least popular fight to all the way up to the main event in that order of importance, right? Mm -hmm. And they're just mixing and matching and moving them around as if they're trying to meet this this demographic that's like the fucking roadrunner from, you know what I mean? Meaning, yeah. like, we got to catch it real quick. Yeah. And and they're left looking like the damn coyote, like a moron, because let's be honest, we're the only ones watching it. And we tune in from beginning to end. Yeah. So if your ratings slip so minutely, so small, it's so negligible, the transition from 1.1 to 1.15 million. Let's go ahead and just shuffle the deck. Let's take all the fight cards, write them down on post-it notes, and fling them in the air and see where they stick. I, I, I cannot stand that. I cannot stand how they The do announcer that. not in the ring. No ring card girls. No ambiance. No buzz. No atmosphere. People that are given free tickets. It is so force-fed. Announcers reading from scripts. Steve Farhood. Just making shit up out of out of thin air. Yeah. Concocting scorecards. It makes you sit back and question your sanity. It does, man. Am I watching this? Am I watching the same thing? Do I need to go to the doctors and get my head checked and my vision checked? Because I'm so confused. I'm hearing one thing. I'm being told from announcers what is going to happen before it happens. When did that start in this sport? PBC, baby. During the Brazil fight, after Brazil puts Consuegra down the second time, mm -hmm. and he goes in for the kill, Sugar Ray Leonard goes, oh, now he's going to attack the body. What are you talking about? Now he's going to attack the body? <laughs> it's like a WWE match, man. They're, 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 they're yelling punches to her. They're whispering the next punch they're going to throw in each other's ear as they go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that's exactly what it looks like. So then we get to this, the rest of this fight. Okay, all this stuff is like like the crowd or lack thereof. This random guy with a walkie-talkie stealing the show. All right, this distracted me. Typically, what happens is, is if I'm like really into a fight, because you know how I like to do the the post-fight recaps, right? Mm -hmm. I like to, you know, paint a picture for our listeners in case they miss the fight. Right. Right. Okay. With this, so I mean, so if it's a good fight, what I'll do is I won't even take notes initially, right? I'll watch the fight first, then I'll run it back and take notes. That way I don't miss anything. Mm -hmm. Well, with this, that guy started distracting me, so I stopped taking notes. And then as all this started to unfold, I literally just deleted it as soon as it was over. I, I didn't take any notes. I apologize to the, the one or two PBC sycophants that are still dangling from this show for some reason, right. you know? That haven't, you know, uh, uh, listen. You're, you're just a glutton for punishment if you're a PBC fan listening to this show. Yeah, absolutely. But needless to say, I have no notes. I saw Guerrero get dropped. I saw Guerrero look like he looked like he had just got done running a 5K and didn't drink any water. He looked like he was about to just collapse in the ring. Yeah. And Martinez continues the onslaught. And I'm listening, and, and, and these announcers are telling me that Guerrero just won four out of the last five rounds. And I'm thinking to myself, what? is going on the scorecards vent the first one's read 95 94 and as soon as they said the name martinez afterwards because they would have never announced the name i knew right then and there it was a split decision loss and guerrero was going to win this mm -hmm. but 
nobody could have predicted, except one, I think Eric Raskin predicted on Twitter, said that, uh, uh, wait for it, wait for the 97-92 scorecard, and he predicted it before the fight. And sure enough, the third scorecard, 97-92. to 92. Absolutely terrible. And you know what? There's, I've kind of noticed a pattern in PBC fights. I don't know if it's been all of them, but I, you know, just after yesterday, you start to look back. There's always been, on every big fight, it seems like there's always one card that is so far off from the other two cards. Mm-hmm. Every friggin' time. It just... Uh, is it coincidence? I, I don't think so. Uh, after a certain amount of times, you got to start questioning. Yeah. The crowd boos. They boo, they boo, they boo. We even, t- even people that don't even know what they're watching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the purses. So you're trying to tell me that Aaron Martinez stood a chance in this fight outside of knocking out Guerrero when Guerrero is getting paid $1 million and Aaron Martinez is getting paid $80,000. No, this, this fight's decision was... was predetermined. Pre, yeah, pre-manufactured, pre-everything. <laughs> this, pop, pop it in the microwave and, <laughs> and press start, buddy. This was, um, man, this was a, a new low, but here, it sinks even lower. So the next fight, Jesus Cuellar versus Victor Chinian, right? For the featherweight championship. And I'm sitting here thinking about it. Like, here we go again. So Gary Russell's not the PBC featherweight champion. I mean, Cuellar holds a, a a low version of the WBA. He doesn't even, he's not even the WBA champion. Nope. They don't even recognize belts, but all of a sudden they're recognizing Jesus Cuellar as the featherweight champion. I, I, I don't even know what to say, man. What does that even mean, Vin? I, I don't know. What does it mean? I don't know what these fucking people are doing. I am Al, <laughs> the great and powerful. <laughs> Cuellar versus Darchinian begins. One round in the book, and the television coverage ends, saying, all right, well, that'll do it for our coverage. Tune in to NBC Sports Network for the rest of the fight. So I turn the channel, and it's commercials, and I'm like, okay, 30 seconds, right? That's that's how long is in between rounds. Some of these PBC fights, depending on how bad the A-side is getting beat up, um... You know, like, for example, Andre Durrell found himself, after getting knocked down, getting a minute and a half break in between rounds. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Um, So I'm waiting and waiting, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then the fighters are on their stools. They stand, then the bell rings, and it's the third round. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, I'm, I hit the rewind button. I go back thinking, okay, I missed something. I set my DVR for it anyway, so right. I must have been late in changing the channel. Again, thinking I'm doing something out of the ordinary, crazy, I can't remember. <laughs> the voodoo spell of the PBC, right? And all of a sudden, nope, nope, that wasn't it. Just the second round didn't happen. We're just going from the first to the third. So it's, it's a nine-round fight. Yeah, we didn't need the second round. Or an 11-round fight, I'm sorry. And... Then they start cutting in between rounds to a ping-pong match between Victor Chinian and Sugar Ray Leonard. <laughs> Boy, am I glad I stopped watching after the first round coverage cut. I'm off. actually excited to tell you about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm like, and uh, Steve Smoger's the referee for the ping-pong match. Holy shit. 
Man, I don't even know. All I can all I can say is this must have been this present just for you. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking that I was like, man, what a gift from Al Heyman to show us this. They're playing to five in a ping pong match, and Sugar Ray Leonard beats Victor Chinian to win the ping pong championship of the world. <laughs> And then during this fight, they kept on talking about the damn ping pong match. They weren't even talking about the fight anymore. And sure enough, Darchinian gets knocked out just as predicted, just as prescribed, as Vic Darchinian has now been knocked out in, in three of his last four fights. But guess what, Vin? Al Heyman's four fighter safety. Oh, yeah, of course. 39-year-olds knocked out three of their last four fights. I'm sure he's fine. Yeah, um... So then people are asking on Twitter, is Victor Chinian a Hall of Famer? No. Two voters. I'm not going to mention their names because I like both of them, and I don't want to insult them. Both said that they would vote for Vic. And I, the, the only thing that I, I could think of was just because you, you've, you've covered his whole career, right? just because you know the guy, and Vic has a reputation of being a very likable fighter. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think he had a lot of success in the smaller weight classes earlier in his career, but I don't think that justifies. No, he he, he wasn't. He's not. You got to hold the Hall of Fame to some level of high standard, and I just think D'Artagnan falls a step below that. Yeah, you know what, man? Look, he had an amazing run through the flyweight division. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, I'm not going to deny that, but let's be honest, man. He spent a large portion of his career a vast majority of his career from 2009 when he lost the unanimous decision to Joseph Egbeko, a fighter that he should have beaten. Yep. Okay. Now, Egbeko has been in some big fights and he's a top 10 guy and, you know, I get it, right? But let's be honest, from 2009 to 2015 has been tumultuous at best, including, but not limited to, seven losses. Wow. From 2009. Yeah, that's that's a that's a long string of L's there. Yeah, because considering between 2000 and 2009 is when his long stretch took off, right? There was mm-hmm. a 7-year stretch where he was reigning between one, you know, in the lower divisions. But then he gets knocked out in 2007 by Nonito Donaire. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like if you're like Hall of Famers just don't go around getting knocked out in their prime. No, they do not. Not and especially not multiple times. Yeah, exactly. So I wildly and vehemently disagree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I definitely would not put him in the Hall of Fame. I wouldn't, you know, shun him away from the doors, but he's he's on the doorstep, not in. No, he's forty and eight, and he's been knocked out four times. Yeah, that those aren't Hall of Fame numbers. Those are journeyman numbers. Those yeah. are I was a former champion. A long time ago, numbers, and I should have retired numbers. Right. Okay? Um, You know, I don't think anybody should be... I mean, dude, this is like giving consideration to somebody that played in the NFL, you know, that had five good years in the NFL. Right, right. Like, we all know that Dexter Manley was probably the second best pass rusher of the 1980s behind Lawrence Taylor. Mm Mm-hmm. But the guy was a crackhead. Yep. Right? And he only had about five, like, really super productive years for, for the Redskins when they were uh, running through Super Bowls, right? And surrounded by a lot of talent as well. Absolutely. But needless to say is that just because Dexter Manley, in my heart as a Redskins fan, is one of the all-time 
Redskins greats. That doesn't mean, just because I, I love the guy, that doesn't mean he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you're exactly right. Now, if he uh, put down the crack pipe and just played football for 10 years, we'd be talking about something completely different. Mm-hmm. If Victor Chinian had been knocked out four times in his career, we'd be talking about something different. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty. That's pretty right. So, anyways, um, you know, everybody's got their opinion, and that's mine. And uh, you all know that uh, I take mine. I take mine down in flames. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, when I, I I tell you what, I'm like a I'm like a zeppelin, you know, hit by a missile, and the hydrogen just explodes, and it's just there's enough air in it just to make the the crash to the ground just super <laughs> super dramatic. <laughs> oh man! All right, so that'll do it for the tragic dumpster fire that was the PBC on NBC this past weekend. Um, any final sentiments, Vin? I don't know how much longer I can keep doing it, man. Yeah. You know, we need content for the show, and and this is great entertainment. And we, we the, you know, we have our, – our audience has, has really began – I guess we can kind of – I'd like to thank Al Heyman. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, man, there are uh, like-minded individuals out there that uh, truly appreciate um, – we are the voice of the voiceless, Vin. <laughs> Or the unsilent majority. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So that'll do it for the post-fight wrap-ups of HBO Championship Boxing. Miguel Cotto takes down Daniel Gill in four. And the PBC dumpster, dumpster fire that continues, continues to burn and fill the smog-filled California air with more pollution. <laughs> so we move to the preview portion of the show. But before we get to that, I just want to remind all of you, to stop by theboxingrant.com for all the archived episodes of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. You can follow Vince on Twitter at VinceCummings81, and you can follow myself, Kenny Keith, on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube. We're spanning the globe here at the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. And we appreciate all of you for tuning in every single week as we go live Sundays at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time here at the BoxingRant.com studios in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. So now we move to some previews of an action-packed weekend to be June 13th, HBO Boxing After Dark returns to the Madison Square Garden Theater as it's the return of the Axeman, Nicholas Walters, as he'll square off against a slugger from South America named Miguel Mariaga on the undercard. It's the HBO debut of arguably the best young fighter in the entire world. El Diamante Felix Verdejo as he squares off against Ivan Nahara last night, Vin, after... After the Cotto fight, I mean, they were showing the promo for this. The guy, whoever's doing the HBO promos now, his voice is awesome. Yeah. He goes, <laughs> he goes, in HBO boxing after dark, Nicholas Walters versus Miguel Mariaga and Felix Verdejo versus Ivan Nahara. And it sounded so intense. <laughs> I, I was getting so excited, man. I was like, man, give that guy a bonus. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and start with the main event, the return of the Axeman. Some consider to be the best 126-pounder in the world. Where do you stand on Nicholas Walters in the featherweight division, Vin? 
I think right now you would have to say he's the most established and has the biggest wins in that division. So I, I would say he's he's the best 126 pounder in the world right right now. But I I, I think Lomachenko eventually is the man to take that mantle from him. Nicholas Walters from Jamaica man, 25 and 0 with 21 knockouts. His last two victories. Knockout wins against Victor Chinian and Nonito Donaire. Those don't hold as much weight as they did when they happened, do they? I don't know. I mean, he pretty much KTFO'd both of them and, he, and embarrassed both of them. He did, yeah. It was embarrassing enough to to you know to give it that same level had uh, Donaire and Darchinian been in their primes. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, come on, Nicholas Walters is the biggest featherweight in the world. He is five foot seven with the reach. Of a super middleweight. Yeah, it's unbelievable. 73-inch reach. That is longer than Canelo. That's longer than Triple G. I mean, Carl Frotch has, like, one of the most abnormal reaches in boxing at six foot one with a 76-inch reach. That's a heavyweight reach. Yeah. 73 inches for a guy who is a featherweight. Think that gives you an advantage in there? We saw that advantage in full effect. If you ever want to see... The length advantage that Nicholas Walters hold holds it was never on more clear of a display than than his fight against Victor Chinian, mm-hmm. where it was a battle in the first round of foot position, and once once that foot position was established, he literally fought in almost like you know how Van Damme stretches in all of his movies, where he's got his feet on two cinder blocks and his nuts are like below his his ankles. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like that's how Walters fought Darchinian. Yeah, he's got that wide base. Yeah, the wide base and the reach will always give him an advantage against fighters that are much smaller. So let's get to this fight. Miguel Mariaga is kind of an unknown. I mean, let's be frank, he is an unknown. His numbers suggest that he is a power puncher. And those that have seen him in action will um, will agree. He has knocked out Christopher Martin, a fighter that you and I have seen uh, plenty of times. I was going to say, is he? I feel like we've he's been a part of preview shows for two months now. Who, Christopher Martin? Yeah, yes. everybody, everybody's beat him. Yeah, he's yeah. like the gauge for everybody in the 126-pound <laughs> division. No, you're exactly right. He is. Um, Mariaga, 20-0 with 18 knockouts. But... Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because there's a reputation of fighters that come from Colombia. Yeah. They come out with these ridiculously lopsided records that make you think that, wow, look at that record. That is shiny. He he fought a couple of guys, I believe I was looking on box rec. There's like uh three and thirty four and two and forty two. It's like where in the hell he fought one guy that was one and thirty two. <laughs> Why is that guy still fighting? I don't know. <laughs> hey, Victor Peralta, if you are listening to this show, <laughs> I hope you don't still fight. You were one in thirty two back in two thousand ten. Hold on, I'm gonna click on him and see and see what his record is now. He's one in thirty nine. Holy shit. <laughs> he has man. he hasn't he he's been knocked out thirty times. You can't hang him up. <laughs> man. Does he qualify to fight for Al Heyman with having been knocked out thirty times? Uh, I think he does. Oh man gosh. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to get hung up on that. I I don't think I've ever seen that before. Actually, no. There's one better on here. Edinson Jimenez, one in thirty-eight. Jesus Christ, man. That is just oh, these poor guys, man. I, I will say this. Oh, he's five and fifty-eight now. Well, 
That's not even, I mean, that's not fair, man. It's, they're not really funny. We shouldn't be laughing. Stop putting gloves on the guy. Jesus. Man. All right, so to the action. Walters, Mariaga, what are your thoughts on the fight? I think it's going to be tight, man. I really do. Mariaga's got a really good skill set and, and good power. And to boot, Mariaga beat Walters twice in the amateurs. So I think there's a little bit of a revenge factor for for Walters in this fight. I, I don't know if that's going to cause him to step out of the box and do anything more than he has to do. But I think Mariaga has the skills to make this fight interesting for at least six, seven, eight rounds. But I do think in the end that reach and that power of Walters is is it's going to end the fight. And, and it's going to. What's your prediction Mariaga. for the fight then? Prediction? Yes, prediction. Pain. In the form of a ninth round KO. A ninth round knockout says says Vin Sanity. Um, I'm going to have to go with a fifth round stoppage by the Axeman. Yeah. Yeah. I just think the uh, um, the amateur stuff aside, I mean, there's been a lot of guys that have beaten a lot of guys oh, yeah. in the amateurs. Um, the headgear's off. We haven't seen Walters get shook. No. Yet, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw Donaire connect on him and wobble him pretty good, but we haven't seen him shook. If Mariaga finds himself able to put Walters on the ropes and, and keep him there, he is very accurate, very short uppercuts and, and body shots that – are, they're accurate, they're powerful, and they will do damage. So Walters needs to needs to definitely be careful in this fight. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all of those uh, potential happenings aside, um, I'm just going to do the straight-up math on this one, especially after trying to be a contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> in my last prediction, I'm going to take the X-Man uh, by way of fifth-round stoppage. Then with the ninth-round stoppage. All right, now let's move on to what could potentially be the most exciting part of this entire show. The debut of a fighter that some feel could be the next great transcendent box office star in the sport of boxing. And his name is El Diamante, Felix Verdejo, at five foot nine with a 72-inch reach, a large lightweight indeed. Born in 1993 in San Juan, Puerto Rico, the kid is 22 years old. I do not think that there is a fighter on the planet today that possesses the raw, explosive potential mm-hmm. of Felix Verdejo. Yeah, it's it's hard, really hard not to get ahead of yourself when you're talking about this kid because you want to just blast him up into the top of every – he's going to be a four-division champion, and you you want to put all that on him. And he has every aspect of anything you could ever want from a fighter. Not to mention, he carries himself outside of the ring great. He's a he's a gracious person. He's not a piece of shit like you get from a lot of these young guys. And just the excitement level in his fights and, and the explosiveness and the power and the speed and a million-dollar smile to go with it. This guy's got all the makings of just superstardom, man. Yeah. Yeah, he is uh, in line. <clears throat> To take the torch mm-hmm. from Miguel Cotto. And, um, you know, part of me, it, 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 it kind of, in a way, I guess if you look at it from the Verdejo angle, mm-hmm. the parting of Miguel Cotto from top rank, I, I think maybe those sour grapes that was coming from the top rank camp may have had something to do with what their plan and strategy was for Felix Verdejo. You know, people haven't really talked about that. 
And you know how it is uh, for when we are talking about Miguel Cotto, uh, only Miguel Cotto matters, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I mean, think about it. Yeah. I, I believe that there could have been a conversation between Cotto and top rank where Verdejo's name was dropped. And when you start talking about anybody except for Miguel Cotto when it comes to his career, um, that may have been just enough saying, you know what? I'm not here to put this kid over. But and, and okay, well here's the thing though, is Cotto Cotto's bound by his lineage, right? Mm-hmm. He's bound by where he comes from. But the guy is such an an enigma, and so I don't know, man. He's such like a reclusive, you know, selfish kind of guy. That Felix Verdejo and him may not have exactly the personalities were a bit different, and. uh I don't think anybody, I don't think Cotto wants anybody shining brighter than him. No, no, not at all. And I think you're probably, I mean, that you think about it, the, the personalities, personalities that you do get to see from the two of them, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, different ends of the spectrum. Verdejo is infectious, just like you said, Vin. Um, I couldn't have put your description of this kid and, and his potential any better myself. And there's something about Verdejo that he does physically with his explosive, quick, twitching agility that he has mm-hmm. where he can literally disappear and reappear. I mean, his last knockout against Marco Antonio Lopez came out of nowhere. He literally, it was almost like he shifted time and space and like portal jumped to the side. Right. And the next thing you know, his, his body was literally outside of Antonio Lopez's body. And this, gigantic right hook is just just out on its own. He's not even anywhere remotely squared up on his opponent. Mm-hmm. And just, it was almost like, I decide to knock you out now. Yeah, it you, was. You are knocked out. <laughs> Enough of this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, this is an exciting, exciting time for the good guys of the sport. Yeah, I could not be more thrilled to have this kid on HBO and and have the rest of people that haven't got a chance to see him. When you get a chance to see this kid, I guarantee you 100% you will be watching the rest of this kid's fights for as long as he's around. What do you know about Ivan Nahara? He's a tough little kid. I mean, look at the size difference in this fight. That's going to be the first thing you're going to notice. You're talking a four-inch height difference, four-inch reach difference. Nahara's a tough kid, though. He's... for a five foot five guy is not scared to mix it up. And what he's gonna have to do in this fight is get inside. But I think that's gonna be his 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 undoing. Because he's gonna have to lunge in and I, I don't know about you, Ken, but I'm seeing a highlight reel knockout. <laughs> Aren't all of his knockouts? They out? are, man. I mean they really are. Yeah. You can I'm, barely see the damn punch half the time. No, I know. You have to blink and you have to rewind it and watch it in slow right. motion. You do. This is not an exaggeration. I implore anybody that has not been caught up to speed with Felix Verdejo film to just watch like his last fight, five fights on YouTube. Yep. The thing is, is that Verdejo has kind of got this reputation as a, at a young age that he toys with his opponents. Yeah, I thought the last fight, I thought what he was messing with him. Yeah, it's like, dude, you're just playing around in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like HBO debut. This is going to look very. Very similar to what Chocolatito did to Edgar Sosa. Yeah. And uh, my prediction for this fight, Vin, is a third-round knockout from El Diamante. I have the exact same prediction. I think HBO is is lining up their next generation of young, talented fighters, and this guy 
and Chocolatito, and along with a couple others, are going to be the centerpiece of that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it, man. Should be an exciting card. If I wasn't moving into my new house that weekend, I was giving legitimate thought to riding up to Madison Square Garden Theater to watch this fight. Probably affordable tickets too. Yeah, yeah, there were still plenty on sale, and uh, I think uh, well below face value. Yeah, um, you definitely could get one if you uh, decide to just take a chance and um, hop on a midnight train to <laughs> to MSG. Um, the same night, the same evening. From Birmingham, Alabama. It's the return, or should I say the debut, the second debut (laughs) (laughs) of Showtime Championship Boxing. The grand reopening? I think it was an enormously difficult proposition for Steven Espinoza to remove his head from the arse of of, uh, Mayweather's boy toy, Justin Bieber. (laughs) So Espinosa the troll, right? The insulter of the legitimate fighters in the world. A guy that is disrespectful and disregards them all. Has been left out in the cold to shiver. Ludabella won't even give him a jacket. (laughs) And now they return with their second Deontay Wilder fight of the year and their third card of the year. It is June. Yeah. It is June. It is half the year's half. When this fight happens on June 13th, that is the sixth month out of 12 months and the halfway point of that damn month. And this is their third card. They did the Gary Russell Gonzalez fight and Wilder Stavern. Deontay Wilder returns to the ring in his home, home state of Alabama to square off against Eric Molina for Wilder's WBC belt. Deontay Wilder. 33 and 0 with 32 knockouts. Berman Stavern is the only fighter that he has been in the ring with that has been remotely close, remotely close to a legitimate fighter. That 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 is the most fluffed record in the history of boxing. It has to be. It 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 definitely is. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he has literally fought nobody, and is the heavyweight champion of the world. Look, I gave him all the praise he deserved. After the win against Stavern, for one for one reason, he was expected to beat Stavern. But here's the thing: this was the first time that you saw Wilder put together a boxing performance, mm-hmm. right? But there's something still so raw about his technique. He's sloppy. Yep. He's not nimble on his feet for as as athletic as he is. No, he's very flat-footed. He's very unnatural as a fighter. Now that being said, his height, his power. His one-two combination, which is his only trick in the book. Oh, yeah. Are something to behold. Those are transcendent physically. But skill-wise, there is much, much left on the table, Vin. Oh, yeah. There's there's some serious, serious holes in his game. You know, the first thing I thought about with this fight was, you, you wonder, you would think that Wilder is, is one of Al's prized pieces. Well, why isn't he putting him, putting him on a PBC show? On free TV. <laughs> it's free TV. <laughs> I, I made a comment to uh, 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 Gabe Montoya and Steve Kim. They were saying uh, uh, Steve's been on his It's Free campaign. Have yeah. you noticed that? He's yeah. like, it's free. <laughs> right? 
And I said, so is the so is the stuff that I leave in the toilet after eating lunch every day, but I don't go around handing that out to people. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, man. I guess this was their, you know, this was the carrot that they dangled in front of Espinosa's face, man. I, I don't get it, man. It makes no sense. No. No, it doesn't. But uh, on the other hand, uh, Showtime audiences are about the same size as PBC audiences, so... It's the same people watching every damn channel. Yeah, man. You know what I mean? We're watching the damn shows. Nobody else knows where to find them, and nobody else really cares. Let's be honest. Yep. And I'm fine with that. I'm I'm okay with that. You know, I know the diluted landscape of of boxing promoters. You know, the backstabbing increases when the pot is the coffers are not filled. Oh yeah. Um, Eric Molina, Vin, tell me something about Eric Molina. I mean, look, he's been around for a while. He's just, you want to talk about a guy who's fought even worse stiffs than Wilder, Molina has. And he's only got two losses in his career, but run run down the list. Tell me if you know any, any of those guys. You don't. You're not going to know any of them. Uh, it's I just, know one. Chris Ariola. Yeah, the guy who knocked him out in the first round. <laughs> Chris Ariola, his <laughs> toughest opponent. Knocked him out in the first round. That's all you need to know right there. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Chris Ariola is, he's not even a top 10 heavyweight and, and barely at one point was in the top three, but I think that was more of a fluffing of a Mexican-American fighter who, was, who had exciting fights. Man. Man, oh, man, oh, man. I wonder what the heavyweights of old are, are, are thinking. You know what's funny, man, is that so many people, because of the, uh, I guess, of their lack of, historical perspective and their lack of, of knowledge of the sport are always, always trashing Klitschko. Yeah. Oh, he fights nobodies. Hey, hey folks, I got, I got something for you. Just because you haven't heard of him doesn't mean they're nobodies. Right. He's been fighting, the, he's been dismantling the top ten of the heavyweight division for the last decade. I mean, all he's been doing is taking out mandatories. Just picking them off. <laughs> okay, so Deontay Wilder has something to prove, wouldn't you say? Of course. So they're going to put him in the ring with a teed-up wiffle ball bat. No, 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 I'm sorry, a teed-up beach ball. Yeah. Pretty much. Yep. My prediction for this fight, Vin, is a second-round knockout. I predict a fourth-round knockout just because Wilder's not. It takes him a little time to get started. But I, this, is, this is fight is just the level of frustration when you're even thinking about this fight. is I can't even take it, man. There are so many up and coming heavy. I mean, come on, man. There's there, there's heavyweights. Like, just pick somebody in the top ten and fight them. Go get Char. Go get yeah Hammer. Go yeah. get one of those guys. Don't somebody that's gonna fight back. Don't give me this bullshit, man. All right, Molina. Don't I don't I don't need that. I don't. I really don't want to watch it, but I got to. Damn it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Why? What? 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 Uh, you got to because you just can't go any longer without hearing this, Vin. Don't brag about taking my side piece. Don't brag about taking my side piece, though. That's my side piece. You don't get laid. Yeah, yeah, you having withdrawals. Jesus. Oh, man, that guy. Oh, that guy. Boy, we'll get to him here shortly. Yeah. Um. Okay, on the undercard, Wilder Molina is Jose Pedraza versus Andre Klimov for the vacant IBF junior lightweight title. Ivan Redcatch returns to the ring against Dejan Zlatikanen. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, in a lightweight battle. And then one of our favorites, J-Rock Julian Williams, enters against Armand of Sepian 
We've already talked about that fight. We're not going to beat a dead horse. We think Julian Williams deserves better, and we think he should be in the ring with better. The time is now for J-Rock Williams. Get him in the ring against some legitimate competition because it's time to see this kid dismantle them all. Did you happen to notice his back and forth this week with Ishe Smith on Twitter? Yes, I did. He I did. was pounding that man. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ishe Smith was just flat out making things up. He, yeah. he was just lying about stuff. Yeah. And he was getting called out about it. There you go. Like, why does he got to fight Armand Ofsepian? I mean, come on, man. The PBC incest. You got Ishe Smith is just right there yeah. for the take. And put that, that nitwit in the ring with J-Rock. I would love to see that fight. He would get destroyed. <laughs> Steve, Steve Kim got involved in, in, that, in that beef between J-Rock and, and, uh, and Ishe. Did you see Ishe firing at him? No. And Steve Kim said back to him, he said, you know what, Ishe, if you were fighting in my backyard, I would close the blinds. <laughs> <laughs> good for him, man. <laughs> oh, man. That's good stuff. All right. So, yeah, there's um, a few more fights on that card, but, um, you know, some decent names, decent prospects. You know, we'll watch it. Uh, Ivan Redcatch puts on a, you know, a pretty decent show considering um, his talent has kind of floundered. He's been highly inactive. Yeah. Um, so for him to be fighting on a more regular basis is only going to serve him well because he does have some talent. Um, the uh, the Pedraza Klimov fight should be pretty good, but uh, get to see J Rock Williams. If you're not familiar with him, he'll be on the Showtime Extreme, or as like Vince likes to call it, Showtime Extra <laughs> uh, portion of the card. So if you haven't seen J Rock in action, um, it's a treat. He'll, he uh, is about as solid an overall package of skill as there is in this sport, and uh, only at the uh, the ripe old age, 25 years old. So. Now we go to the preview of the Friday night card on June 12th as the PBC on Spike TV goes to Chicago as they pit. This is, I mean, dude, this is par for the course, right? Oh, of course. Here here we go. A Cuban versus a Dominican live from Chicago. (laughs) Why isn't this in Miami? Because, man, Chicago's a Cuban hotbed. (laughs) You didn't know that? Why, because they have a Cuban restaurant? <laughs> Why, because there's a street vendor that sells Cubans? <laughs> a Cuban versus a Dominican as the main event, and you're not fighting this fight in either New York City or Miami. They don't the know. battle for Ohio in Las Vegas. They don't know what the hell they're doing, man. It's as simple as that. They're gonna, dude, that guy with the credentials and the walkie-talkie, that dude is getting paid. He is. He's getting. I would love to see the purse he takes home because he's got to be the busiest man in these productions. This, oh, yeah. this guy's going to be so damn busy trying to get people to move where the cameras are for this fight when they could have held this fight outside on the beach mm-hmm. and put like built. I don't know, like four thousand seats around the damn ring. Not even. Just put two thousand. Yep. If every seat's filled, they could they could fill it with every Dominican and and and. And Cuban boxing fan in that town, they would be there cheering. Yep. Doesn't that sound like a great idea, Vin? Uh, they don't. They don't know great ideas, man. Come on. In, in the undercard, the return of one of the most dangerous prospects in all the land, light heavyweight, Artur Baturbiev, your boy, mm-hmm. squaring off against the guy that you. Uh, <laughs> You actually know a little bit, Vin. Alexander Johnson, tell us the story. Yeah, it's pretty funny, man. I went to start doing the preview for this fight, and I, I saw the name. I'm like, looks a little familiar. Sounds familiar. 
And I started looking at pictures of the guy, and I'm like, holy shit. I had a short-lived attempt at trying to be a boxer in the early 2000s. I sparred a couple times. This was one of the guys that I sparred at a gym in Southeast D.C., and uh, I just found it to be hilarious, man. I mean, I think at that point in time I was 23, 24 years old. He was probably about the same age. He was the light heavyweight novice gold gloves champion, which is the lower division of gold gloves. Yep. And this was my first time sparring when I stepped in the ring with this guy. He looks exactly the same as he looks right now, so it's, it was intimidating as hell for me. Stepping in a ring, seeing this guy cut up big dreadlocks, black dude, I'm like, damn, this dude looks like a beast. <laughs> looks like the predator. <laughs> he did. And, uh, dude, nerves got the better of me, man. I was tired halfway through the second round. I'm Did he let you smoke cigarettes in between rounds? <laughs> <laughs> The problem was I just quit smoking cigarettes like six months before that. <laughs> but, yeah, man, I'm going to say halfway through the second round, he got he caught me really good. And if he would have followed up, I would have went down. Like straight up, like triple G body shot to Macklin? Uh, this was a head shot first. Oh, okay. And then I made it to the end of the round because he didn't follow it up. If he followed it up, I was going down. And uh, next round, I'm like, dude, I can't even hold my fucking arms up. <laughs> I'm so tired. My legs are gone. I'm like, what the fuck? He hits me with a body shot, spit my mouthpiece out, and I'm like, that's it, man. No more. No mas. <laughs> oh, no mas. It, it was good stuff, man. Good stuff. Uh, I, I learned a lesson that day. I'll tell you that. It's uh, Sparring is a different ball game from just uh, hitting bags and <laughs> And hitting mitts and all that shit. <laughs> and playing boxing on the on the Xbox. Yeah. A lot different than that. A little different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great story, man. That's a great story. So do you uh you give you give your former sparring partner any chance in this I have, fight? I have no idea. I mean, I know he's been fighting locally, but I have no idea what he's what he's like now. I he's gonna get I would have to think better be gonna mow through him. Yeah. Um I mean I think that's what he's there for. Yeah. You know? I mean the collision course is, is better Biev and, and Adonis Stevenson. You would think. I mean, that's I think that's what they've been trying to set up for a while. Um, this may be the tune-up fight to that fight. Yeah, I mean, what what other fights do they have for Stevenson? I don't know. <laughs> they got nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Gabe Campillo, they signed him to, to, to get knocked out. Yeah, come on, we don't need to see that. No. no. But we will, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, last night they uh, they had a replay of uh, Darnell Boone versus um, oh, what was that guy's name that he fought last night? Oh man, Darn Darnell Boone had as as basically you know we talk about we talk about Carl Froch, right? Having run the gauntlet, mm -hmm. uh, I, a famous quote by my co-host here, Vin, uh, Vince Cummings at Vince Cummings eighty one, is that Carl Froch does not know a tune-up fight couldn't be any more. Uh, <laughs> closer to the truth, and then I started to read through Darnell Boone's box wreck. I, I, I'm way off course here, but hear me out, <laughs> okay? So I start digging through this guy's box wreck, and because his fight's on last night, and it was his fight against uh, Philip Jackson Benson um, from the beginning of uh, I guess it was I guess it was like two months ago that fight was, um, and uh, so I pull up. Darnell Boone's box rack. He fought Andre Ward back in 2005, right? He fought Jean Pascal in 2006. He fought Curtis Stevens in 07, Brian Vera um, in 07, 
Erzlandi Lara in 09, Edwin Rodriguez in 2009, Adonis Stevenson in 2010, Sergey Kovalev in 2010. Jesus, man. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a, of a – I mean, they fought, he fought Adonis Stevenson again after he got knocked out by Sergey Kovalev. He knocked out Adonis Stevenson. Remember that? Adonis Stevenson's only loss was a knockout by Darnell Boone. I forgot all about that, yeah. So anyways, I'm watching this fight um, against Philip Jackson Benson, and the announcer was just a total hack, okay? He had no idea what he was talking about. And he goes, yeah, Philip Jackson Benson is the heir apparent to the super middleweight division. I'm like, I've never even fucking heard of this guy. What? I've never even heard of this guy, right? So Jackson is awesome to watch. I mean, uh, Benson, uh, Jackson Benson is awesome to watch. You just got to watch this fight. Yeah, and he is standing in the middle of the ring with this look on his face, like ew, ew, <laughs> just just like with this tough guy look. He's not even moving. He's just standing in this posture, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the fight is just so unbelievably boring. And then out of nowhere, Darnell Boom gets staggered. He's wobbling all over the place and just launches. This looping monster overhand right and just flatlines this guy. Benson looked like he was dead. Are you kidding? No. <laughs> looked like he was dead. I, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting here writing an article for the website, and I, all of a sudden, dude, it like literally launched me up out of the couch. What I thought it was live. <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. Why, why didn't I hear about this fight? Right. We would have previewed this fight. <laughs> Go back and watch it. Sorry, that was really long-winded, but I had a lot of fun talking about it. <laughs> oh, so Darnell Boone's 21 and 22. Wow. But that roster, that gauntlet right there. I, that That's the most ridiculous roster I've ever heard, man. <laughs> so I, I think it is a Darnell Boone does not know... <laughs> Does not know a slouch. He only <laughs> he only fights Hall of Famers. God man. bless, man. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, anyways, okay, back to the lecture at hand. Perfection <laughs> is expected. So, We're going to let them understand. <laughs> from Triple G's perspective. Big drama show. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. It's uh, getting a little loopy. It's getting a little hot in here. <laughs> um, we're going to move to some news and notes. And um, there's two... Two things here, and we will leave you. We'll close the door on episode 53 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. There was a big announcement this week, Vin. Your boy, DSG, Danny Garcia, and my boy, the parrot, mm-hmm. Paulie Malinaji, are going to fight on August 1st on the PBC on ESPN. This is what Adrian Broner had to say about that. I beat Polly. I left with his belt and his girl. <laughs> I want this to end like Rocky too. Both of them just get crushed, go down. <laughs> both knock each other out at both, the same time. Both knock each other out at the same time. Nobody gets up in this one though. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, dude, Paulie Malinaji. Uh, look, he has. Um... <laughs> I can't stop. Oh, man, this guy's such a clown. It's hard for me to like be serious about this. <laughs> All right, so pretty much any time that he has stepped up to the elite level, he's pretty much gotten dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to be fair, he beat up on like a 92-year-old Zab Judah. Right. Right. Adrian Broner, we, I think we can both agree, wildly overrated. Yeah. Um, in a fight that, that Broner won the split decision and gets knocked out by Sean Porter. 
knocked out by the pillow-fisted Amir Khan, right? Gets knocked out by Ricky Hatton. Gets just his face rearranged by Miguel Cotto. Mm-hmm. Anytime he's stepped up to this, this kind of level, he's gotten knocked out. I don't know if this was like some kind of side deal as part of the Mayweather-Pacquiao negotiations where Freddie Roach or Pacquiao said, hey, you can keep 10% of my purse if you put Malinaji in the ring with one of your knockout artists. Mm-hmm. I, I just I see this ending very, very badly. Oh, yeah, I'm sure DSG left hook is going to... This is going to look like Rod Salka. Yeah, it's going to, yeah. <laughs> so that's, you, you got anything else to say? No. <laughs> There's nothing <laughs> no, else. Stop to... talking to me about this. <laughs> <laughs> I just want them both to get knocked the hell out. Yeah, yeah, well... I don't know. Maybe the Undertaker under the ring with a, <laughs> with, a, with a steel chair or something like that. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. But I wish I had his entrance music right now that I could just press the button. <laughs> Boom. All right. JC Superstar Jr. Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. On the treadmill as we speak. As <laughs> we, were, we were trying to send out tweets to let everybody know that we were live on the air, but Twitter was getting flooded with about... 30 pictures of Chavez on the treadmill doing Pilates. <laughs> I don't even know if it was him, but it says it was him. And he is he means it this time. Hashtag sacrificio. <laughs> Hashtag sacrificio. Then he means it. Ah, of course. He means it. He joins forces with Robert Garcia and has vowed to return to 168 pounds. Good move, but... Do we care? Because he is done as a fighter, as far as I'm concerned. Do you think he could compete in the 168-pound division against the best? No. He's going to get destroyed. He's going to have one easy fight. They're going to step him up, and he's going to get put in his place again. Are they? Or are they just going to ride his name? They'll probably try to ride his name, yeah. yeah. And now that they got Garcia backing him, they're going to try to draw in the Mexican fan base again. So, yeah, they're going to tee a couple up for him, probably. These delusional guys, man. Yeah. You know, it's like Amir Khan. Amir Khan fired uh, Virgil Hunter this week. I didn't even see that. He did? Yeah, you didn't hear him after the fight in the post-fight press conference saying, oh, yeah, I was overtrained. Um, Uh, Yeah, it looked like it. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I I left too much in the gym. Give me a break, man. Just typical Amir Khan fashion. Cannot take accountability for the fact that he is just not as good as he thinks he is in the same exact fashion. So he fires Virgil Hunter. Who's going to train this guy? I have no idea, man. Just going to train himself. Roger Mayweather? Yeah, Cotto tried that once. Remember when Cotto tried to train himself? Yeah. How did that How did that end up? Uh, yeah, you, you slip a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, I don't know, man. Apparently, Robert Garcia didn't even know about this. He was he was he was called by multiple reporters that said so. Chavez has announced that he's that he's he's changing camps, that he's firing Goosen, and he's he's heading your way. And he's like, well, I don't know, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, of course he's going to accept that. I mean, that, that's a lot of extra money in his pocket. Oh yeah, you're always going to accept to train a fighter whose purses are as big as Chavez's mm-hmm. because you get a percentage of that. Yep. Now, I will. It'll take seeing it to believe it, Vin. That Garcia can get this guy to 168 pounds. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not seeing it. 
No. And and also, hold on. On while we're on the topic of Robert Garcia trained fighters, I've heard grumblings that Marcos Maidana may be retired. He may be done. That he just he's he's over two hundred pounds right now, and he has just said he has no interest in coming back to fight. Yeah, I, look, when you get that big, uh, you you're pretty much done. Right? You said it. You said it in the last show. You said he got retirement money. Yeah, he did. Two two fights. He made about six million dollars. Yeah. Well, I, and look, I don't blame him. You know what? Maidana was a tough fighter through his entire career, and he had a, he had a great career. Yeah, been in tough fights. Always entertaining. I fought the best. Yeah. Look, if he wants to step away, step away, man. What's left for him to do? Knock out Danny Garcia. That would be nice. <laughs> but after that, there's, there's nothing. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get a comeback fight. Speaking of comeback fights, Oscar De La Hoya has said that he is going to consider making a comeback. And for his comeback fight, he wants to fight Triple G. Who's monitoring Oscar? When <laughs> Is he back on? <laughs> He found the key to the liquor cabinet. Oh, man. What is he talking about? Uh, do you want to see that fight? No. I don't want to see him die. <laughs> that would be... Oh, man. That would be awesome, though. <laughs> not, no, not not watching him die. That's not, that's not what I meant. I, right. I, I really like Oscar. Um, wow, that is, that's ballsy. And, but here's the thing. He's either drinking. He's either back on the medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Or he's serious, and that's the scary part, because uh, he never dodged a fight. Yeah, no, he didn't. <laughs> and I saw after he made that statement, Mosley was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come back and fight you. And him and Roy Jones Jr. were like, yeah, let's we'll get Bernard back, and we'll do a Legends tour and whatever the hell. What the hell are you guys talking about? Mosley wanted to fight Malinaji and BKV. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I, that would have been awesome, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome. I think Mosley would have. Knocked him out probably oh within, like, two minutes. Yeah, he would have teed off on him. <laughs> All right. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. I was only going to talk about one thing, and I just kept on remembering the news of the weird. This is a pretty weird week. Yeah, no shit. Man. You know? But the year is only halfway over, then. It's only halfway over. And um, we have uh, more episodes to come next week on episode 54 of The Tale of the Tape. We will preview Andre Ward versus Paul Smith. The return of Andre Ward. Are you looking forward to this from a curious uh, bystander perspective? Yeah, I, I want to see if his if his game is still as tight as it was a year and a half ago. Hey, because he was one of the best in the sport. Absolutely. I hope he looks so damn good. I, I do. Yeah. I hope he looks so good and he feels better than ever at 172. That way, he will commit to 175 because you know what's next. Yeah, Kovalev Ward is. Huge. Yeah, that's a huge fight. Huge fight. And, man, just I, I, I wouldn't even want to say where odds would be on that fight. Uh, man, depending on how Ward looks against Smith, I think would dictate what those odds would be. Yeah. If they, were to, if they were to jump in the ring with Ward coming off of two years off, I would say that it probably would be two and a half, two, two and a half to one in are, favor of Kovalev. Are they talking that's next up? Possibly. Depends. Mm -hmm. Ward said he wants two freebies. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess they'll find another token white guy, do it again on BET if, right. the, if the ratings are good. Right. They better do it quick, man. But HBO is still interested in Andre Ward. So if he looks good and he can find a dance partner, he will be back on HBO soon. Good, good. Uh, we will also preview the battle for Ohio in Las Vegas from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. As Adrian Broner squares off against Sean Porter for the 144-pound championship of the world.
but they're calling it a welterweight fight. Um, Errol Spence squares off against Roberto Garcia. Um, uh, that one's pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I can go ahead and predict that one right now if you want. <laughs> now we'll save it for next week. Um, BJ Flores, you asked, you said, does this guy even have a fight lined up? Well, guess what? He sure as hell does, Vin. <laughs> and he's going to be squaring off against Bayboot Schumanoff. The last time we saw Schumanoff in a big fight was at the D.C. Armory as he squared off against the alien, the executioner, Bernard Hopkins. Early odds on Schumanoff Flores, then. <laughs> I don't even want to. I don't know where to go with that one, man. I I, I can't remember Flores in a fight. I don't remember how good he is. I, look, I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Flores is a true cruiserweight. Yeah, Shumanoff is coming up to cruiserweight. That probably lends the power to Flores. Yet Shumanoff's a pretty big guy and can crack a little bit. Yeah. So maybe it turns into a barn burner. It, it very well could. Flores is you know, when he was fighting was an entertaining fighter. So we shall see. We shall see. Hopefully, Shumanoff slurs Flores' speech just enough so we don't have to hear him on TV anymore. <laughs> uh, that's awful, man. That's awful. All right. And actually, the fight that I'm looking forward to, um, maybe as much as, uh, as I'm looking forward to Broner and Porter, would be the fight for the vacant IBF middleweight crown between a very slick boxer and Hassan Endam as he squares off against, man, one of the biggest thumpers in the sport, David Lemieux. That should be a really interesting fight, man. Yeah, as that fight has gotten closer, I'm getting really excited about that one, man. Fox Sports 2 has picked that one up. You got that one on DirecTV? I do. I got to check Comcast, hopefully. If not, I'm watching it at your house. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, I guess that will do it. We will throw in the towel, right? Here at uh, episode 53, and uh, that'll do it. That'll do it. That will do it. All right, so next week, look forward to returning for episode 54 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. For my co-host, Vince Cummings, who you can follow on Twitter at VinceCummings81, I'm your host, Kenny Keith of TheBoxingRant.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. Be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com for all the archived episodes of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. It's been a lot of fun today for episode 53. We ran the gauntlet and we're back for more to preview Ward Smith, Broner, Porter, David Lemieux versus Hassan Endam for the vacant 160-pound belt. You've been listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Stop by theboxingrant.com next week and every Sunday afterwards, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we bring the Tale of the Tape to you live. Every Sunday at 3 p.m. Drop us a message at the mailbag on the website. Questions, comments, concerns. To our fans... We thank you for tuning in to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.